All right, in your hymnal, number seven, to the name of our salvation. Happens to be our circumcision, the naming of Jesus hymn. And coming up this Sunday is December 31st. So we'll be celebrating our New Year's Eve service in the morning. And that means we'll be using hymn number seven in your green hymnal to the name of our salvation. Uh, It's a hymn uh, that, as it has here, the author is anonymous. We don't exactly know. Uh, It is found in late medieval breviaries in in Latin, uh, was translated by uh, Neil, a couple others. This one has uh, an arrangement that says by Hayden. It, it's actually only found in the Lutheran hymnal. Uh, there are a couple other ones, 1917, the Lutheran hymnary, 1913 with the Ohio Senate and, and some others, but, but none of the modern ones, Lutheran worship, LSB, um, any of those uh, particularly have the hymn. So there's not a, a whole lot uh, that goes uh, with it. Uh, the translation by J.M. Neal. And um, so we'll just have to take a look at it and, and see. Uh, I thought I knew the uh, hymn itself, uh, so I didn't really practice it. If Leanne or Sadie can play it, we can probably sing it. If not, we probably can't. So we'll (laughs) have to see here in a minute. But I can go over the words without a doubt. So let's take a look at it. To the name of our salvation. To the name of our salvation. Loud in honor, let us pay. Loud in honor, let us pay. Which for many a generation. Which for many a generation. Hid in God's foreknowledge lay. But with holy exultation we may sing aloud today. So God's foreknowledge, what is that? What's foreknowledge? Knowing ahead of time. God knows ahead of time how everything is going to happen. Um, Foreknowledge, knowing ahead of time, doesn't mean uh, that uh, God is simply forcing everything to happen. But but he knows. um, uh, And he does direct things according to his plan. Here he foreknew that what? He was going to send us his... Son, our Savior, he was going to give him the name Jesus, which means the one who saves. He was going to be the Savior. And so the name of our salvation, Jesus, our Savior, um, for many generations from the beginning of time, though God had told Adam and Eve that he was going to send his son, um, he didn't tell us ahead all of the revelation that is in the name Jesus. It was hid. Uh, but as it says, it has now been revealed to us and we may sing it aloud with, uh, with exultation. Two, Jesus is the name we treasure. Jesus is the name we treasure. 
Name beyond what words can tell. Name of gladness, name of pleasure. Ear and heart delighting well. Name of sweetness passing measure. Saving us from sin and hell. So in Matthew chapter 1, the angel comes to Joseph. He is already engaged. Uh, and word has come to him that Mary is pregnant, and he's debating whether he ought to divorce her or not. And the angel says to her, it's from the Holy Spirit, take her to be your wife, and you will give him the name... Jesus. Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. Because he will save their people from their sins. Here it talks about saving us from, he's a savior. Well, you got to save us from something, from sin and hell. Because sin is the thing that damns, that takes us to hell. This is the, uh, the name. When we have a name, which by trusting in this, this name, we, we receive salvation. Of course it's a name we're going to treasure. Of course it's a name uh, that is of gladness, of pleasure. It's one that we're going to rejoice in, high exultation. Okay, so that's Matthew 1, and it says, uh, You will name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. As I was looking out, Sadie's mouthing the words, I was waiting for Jesus, and she said, You thought that was too easy, right? Um, actually, Matthew 1 goes on and says, right after it says that he will name him Jesus, it goes on to say, and this fulfills what Isaiah said, that he will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. I'd like to set those up as, as contradictory. He said he's going to name him Jesus, but then Isaiah said he was supposed to be named Emmanuel. He got the name wrong. What's going on here? But Matthew says, when he names him Jesus, he's fulfilling what Isaiah said when Isaiah said he would be named Emmanuel. How is that? One fulfills the other? It is. You're, you're exactly right. It is. God with us. Holy. What now? God with us, you said. Which means God with us, translated, so it's describing. Well, God, only God can save us, and God is with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there we have it. So, the God who wishes to be with us, the one who comes to us, I had a Christmas sermon about how God is crazy about us, loves us, uh, uh, kindness and, and the love for man. By his being with us, by his coming, if he's far away, no, he came to take on human flesh. He came to be with us. This Jesus comes. So yes, it is a description. Um, and yet, you know, we, we, Riley describes him. So, um, absolutely. So, so we're, here we have Joseph giving him, uh, the name we treasure. 
And this fulfills what's already said in the prophets, Isaiah. Uh, but the revelation of, of what it is really comes to uh, 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 fulfillment in the New Testament. Stanza three. Tis the name for adoration. Tis the name for adoration. What is adoration? From the word adore. Hmm. Look upon something with um, love and desire for it to be longing for, desire for even its drawing you by its, um, yeah. Um, and yet it even takes even more when we apply it in a deity fashion, not just... The type of worship? It, it ends up being, yes, that, that God, by his love for us, his beauty draws us to himself. And so to adore him uh, actually comes from uh, oro to pray, ad oro to pray towards, to reach out towards... Jesus, all right, tis the name for adoration, name for songs of victory. Name for holy meditation. In this veil of misery. Name for joyful veneration by the citizens on high. So, to be drawn by this name, to worship this name, um, and in particular, it says, when we realize our misery, when we realize our sinfulness, this is a name that we can recall, that we can meditate on, we can remind ourselves of what is included in this uh, particular name. The angel comes to Mary in Luke chapter 1 even before he is to be born, uh, and says, you will be with child of the Holy Spirit, and says that she's going to call him the name Jesus. Hmm. Later we have Joseph told that he's going to name the child uh, uh, Jesus. Uh, when we get to Luke chapter 2, verse 29, it just says the name that was given, and it doesn't mention exactly who, who did it. Uh, they together are uh, referring to him as the, uh, uh, the, the, the Savior, uh, the one who is uh, to come. So, we have here in this one that we who are the citizens on high, we who are the church, uh, we use this name to remind ourselves of who he is. Uh, we also not just adore, but venerate, uh, uh, definitely a, a worship terms not used in, in, in other instances at all. And so, um, refers to our, our, our Savior. Stanza four. Tis the name that whoso preacheth. Tis the name that whoso preacheth. 
speaks like music to the ear. Preaches the name. How do you preach the name? In Acts chapter 9, it says that Paul went out preaching the name. Hmm. Preaching the name. And when the pastor preaches the name, you go, that's sweet music to my ears. Uh, the ladies at the uh, ladies' meeting, we've been going through the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, that's a big title, and it continues to come up. Um, in which it talks about how they, uh, uh, in the name of Jesus, I say to you, arise, or uh, uh, I don't want you to preach in this name anymore. And then they say that they're going to do it, and they do it anyway. They get thrown to jail. Uh, um, the name is shorthand for the entire revelation of who Jesus is. To preach the name is to unpack it, to take what is there and to expand the whole thing. Um, if you remember this, you're going to know an answer to the Bible class coming up this coming Sunday in which we were talking about the communion. And, and, and what does it say in the words of institution? It says, given for the forgiveness of sins. And yet that forgiveness of sins, isn't, it's not to narrow it down, but to talk forgiveness of sins is to talk about all that God gives. And that's what we have when we have Jesus, who is the Savior. Luther says, forgiveness of sins, life and salvation. Yeah. We can expand in Lord's Supper. We have all of the doctrines rolled up, and the Lord is expanding. And so here, to preach the name is to preach who Jesus is, what he has done. Not just forgiveness, but life and salvation. Everything that gets unpacked with the forgiveness. More than that, keep going. Who in prayer this name beseecheth? Sweetest comfort findeth near. So to call upon that name brings great comfort. Who in perfect wisdom reacheth? Heavenly joy possesseth the here. So the perfect wisdom of the name Jesus, of who he is, his revelation, uh, gives us uh, the promise of heavenly joy. We have it here and now. It's, it's ours uh, by faith, and we'll receive it uh, even, even by sight. Um, Jesus' name. When did he get that name? When was he named? In the manger? Eight days later at the circumcision, the name is given. Um, yeah. Stanza five. Jesus is the name exalted. Over every other name. Paul speaks of this in Philippians chapter 2 uh, when he talks about this is the name above every name 
Uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, uh, every tongue confess. Uh, he's talking about the, he has the name in Hebrews chapter 1. We've already had the Christmas reading. It was Christmas Day reading the epistle where uh, Hebrews chapter 1 uh, Paul is, is talking about, you know, to the angels no name was given like this. Um, and to him he told all the angels to worship him and, and, and speaks about how, how he is above and beyond. And that's what it, it's referring to, this gospel message. And that's what the name is. It's shorthand for the gospel message. In this name, whenever assaulted, we can put our foes to shame. Strength to them who else had halted. Eyes to blind and feet to lame. So this is the name that sets free. Uh, sets free, even as it says, feet and eyes and, and uh, gives strength to those who have had it taken away. Um, this is what the, uh, the gospel does. Stanza six. Therefore we in love adoring, this most blessed name revere, holy Jesus the imploring, so to write it in us here. In Revelation chapter 3, it talks about the name of God being written on us, uh, written on, on his heart, on uh, one place, you know, one puts the sign upon the forehead, but uh, uh, writing his name upon us. And so, uh, as we talk about even in our, our baptism, that our Lord uh, gives us his name, places his name upon us. That hereafter, heavenward soaring, We may sing with angels there. We may sing with angels there. Isaiah 9, verse 6. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, other names that are, are listed. Um, again, uh, these are included all in the one who is uh, the Savior and what he's done. And it might be a good, as it says, meditation for us to remember uh, who he is and what he has done for us. As I said, this one is a little bit uh, difficult. I think we'll wait until the uh, service itself. Leanne, have you worked on this hymn? I'm going to have you play it for us. Oh, um, if she doesn't need to play it and you just want to lead it, that's fine for me too. Um, but we'll do it a little bit later because, again, I'm not quite ready with that one. All right, let's take a look at Holy Baptism. Uh, we're on question number three. If you take a look at your little uh, booklet, uh, we're on page 20. Uh, we've gone through question number one. What is it? It's water in the word. Matthew 28, 19. What does it give? Forgiveness of sins, life and salvation. Mark 16, 16. 
Third question. How can water do such great things? Answer. It is not the water indeed that does them. But the word of God which is in and with the water. And faith which trusts such word of God in the water. For without the word of God, the water is simple water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism. That is a gracious water of life and a washing of regeneration in the Holy Ghost. As St. Paul says, Titus chapter 3rd. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. So we got water and the word as we started with the first question. If I ask you a question about the validity of baptism, the validity of baptism, what I'm really asking you when I ask you, is it valid? I'm asking you, is it a real baptism? So if we uh, uh, replace the water with rose petals and we take some rose petals and throw them on you, and say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is it a valid baptism? No. No, it's not a real baptism at all. You change the elements. I don't know what, you know, what is it? Well, I don't know what you call that, but it's not a, it wouldn't be a baptism. It's not valid. Uh, there needs to be the words, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and there needs to be the water which is applied. That's a valid baptism. With the second question of Lord's Supper, it talks about what it gives. It gives forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. It works this. The question has to become, though, if we're going to talk about is it an effective baptism? Not just valid, but is it effective? What I mean when I ask that is, does it give the benefits, the effect? So, the effect, what is the purpose, what it's trying to work for us, is trying to work forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Not everyone that is baptized with water, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, receives forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. It's only effective if there is faith. Faith receives what is being given out. 
when the question is asked, how can water do such great things? This is not a, and, and maybe you've heard me say this, Oprah Operato kind of thing, this working by the work. I mentioned last time, you take a snow shovel, you go out, you push the snow, it works. Whether you believe it or not, it doesn't matter. How does water do this? Well, there is a promise that's put with this water. And the only way you can receive the promise is by faith. Faith receives the forgiveness, life, and salvation. Someone who is baptized and does not believe, does not have faith, does not receive forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. How can water do such things? It's not the water itself, but we're talking about there's a word of God that's connected with it, and faith trusts in the promise, the word that is connected with the water. If you have no word of God, you've got nothing to trust. You just got water. That's all you got. But where there is a word of God, we have a baptism, that is, we have a sign, we've got a sacrament of which there is something in which God says, trust me on this. And faith then trust in the word of God that's with the water. And I was just thinking about a young baby who is baptized. Correct. Mm -hmm. The faith they receive is a gift from God as it is for We don't. But we do have God's promise concerning those who Jesus says, bring the little children to me. In that Bible passage, we know that these are infants. These are still nursing babies, still sucklings, and they're being brought. And Jesus describes these little babies saying, these who believe in me. I go, whoa, they've got faith. Um, well, here is a washing of new birth, a creation, and God is promising with a child, especially with an infant, we trust what God says about this, that he promises to work faith because he wants them to come, and this is his instrument, and, and he is doing it. Um, one of the ways in which the theologians, they say it's actually... We, we can almost be more confident with a young child with an infant in baptism than we can with an adult. Because it says they put no impediment in the way. But yet if a couple brings you, you know, comes and says they want to baptize my child, but they have no intention of coming to church, then right. we say, no, we won't do it. Right. But which, which is because it's not been given to them. One... Only those, no, the parents are the ones who are supposed to do this, but they're not asking for what I'm giving. And they have no intention of using and taking care, you know. Uh, um, yes, you know, I, I, we come to you, you know, we, we want a, we want a puppy. Alright, well, yeah, I'll give you a puppy. You're gonna feed it? No. You're gonna take care of it? No. You're gonna, you know, get a shot? No. 
Well, I'm not giving you a puppy. Um, I, yeah, here's, here's it. Now, what do I know? I, I, I can't. Um, all I'm saying is I'm giving out this particular gift. If you're wanting something else, you're already putting impediments in the way of this. Um, so, yes. At some, you know, do I, I don't want to mistrust the gift for infant, for children, even for adults. I want to try, you know, where this baptism is, don't, and, and I guess here's what I'm, I'm trying to say, don't think in your mind, well, God has given baptism, but he's only working faith in some people that come. That's not true. He, that's not the way it works. He's wanting, he, this is, he is sincerely giving us this gift and is working through it. Um, no one who trusts in this gift will be you know, ashamed or, or disappointed because he, he, will, he, will, he works through it. In the same way that we would say, anyone who comes to the Word to come and hear, God wishes through that Word, you know. Um, now, if you want to sit here in your pew and, and balance your checkbook and say, well, God never gave me faith, well, <laughs> um, that's a different story. But your question specifically is after, you know, yeah, let's say the parents have a child baptized and then they don't. They stop coming. And they stop coming. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. Uh, that's not my call. Um, but if someone who has been baptized, their parents quit bringing them, the parents die, something happens along the way, they come back later and, and, and go, well, I, I, I want to come and be a member of this church. I believe in Christ. Um, but I've been baptized, but it's been 30 years. And I haven't done anything with it. What question do I ask? Do you believe the word? <laughs> Is it valid? Did you have a valid baptism? Was there water and was there the word? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is valid. That means that God keeps his promise. He's always keeping his promise. We may not have kept ours. We may not have believed or trusted in it. Now I'd say trust in your baptism. I don't baptize them again. They've already had a baptism. Uh, and so uh, um, God will make use of that. I don't know. And similarly, we don't speak about, well, I was baptized Lutheran, or I was right. baptized Catholic, or I was baptized... That isn't... That is not the question. No, we don't tack that on. Baptism is baptism simply by the elements in the word. Correct. And it's valid no matter what church it was done in, as long as it was done according to that. You bet. Um, How does it describe this baptism then? It is a gracious water of life. It gives life. It's a washing of regeneration. It's Regeneration means new birth, born again. It's a being born again. And it happens by washing. I know that's a mixed metaphor. I know that's two things that don't go together. Washing normally doesn't give new birth. But that's what this baptism does. It's a washing of, of regeneration. And it works by the Holy Spirit. Um, but, like... You mentioned uh, uh, you listened to the Bible class on Sunday. The audible word that we hear and the visible word with the sacraments. Luther makes quite clear 
both things need to be received by faith. Faith receives the audible word, which gives the promise, and the promise that's connected with the visible elements. Questions? The candles will begin. Page to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now and will be forever. may be seated. The reading's on the back of the bulletin. The gospel reading is Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is our text. The hymn is number seven. Sure. I think we did it last year. I think we did, but it's just not coming to me.
All right, our reading is one verse. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And when eight days were completed. Eight days. In Genesis chapter 17, we have the institution of circumcision. That is, uh, God comes to Abraham. Uh, actually, his name is Abram at the time. And his uh, is said that he will now be called Abraham. His name is changed, which makes you go, Hmm. All right. In fact, that day, Sarai's name is changed from Sarai to Sarah. Um, in Genesis 17, it doesn't say anything about giving a child a name or there being a name. But it does institute this, and it's called the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant. And it says that there is to be this mark upon the body, this circumcision, uh, the mark upon the foreskin, in order to uh, point to the covenant. Now, the covenant itself had already been made. God already cut a covenant uh, back a couple chapters earlier. He took some animals, cut them in two, walked between them, had this little sacrifice. And so God, uh, uh, Abram asked God, what about this promise that you had made to me? And he said, I will make a covenant with you. I'll make this, uh, it's like a a uh, one-sided legal agreement uh, covenant. And so he does it. It is now... Already Isaac has been born, and at the time of Genesis 17, Isaac is 13, not Isaac, Ishmael is born 13 years earlier. It's 13 years since God has made this agreement. And now God comes and he says, I'm going to put it into effect. We're going to, we're going to start it. Um, that is, he made him a promise, but nothing had happened yet. Not, not, not towards this. And so with this, and he says, and I'll give you not just the covenant which I've already given you. I've already given my promise. Now I'm going to give you a sign that I'm keeping it and that I'm starting it. And we're getting, we're going to do this. And so it is right about this time, soon after this, that. Uh, he circumcises all the males in his household, eight days old and o- o- over. And in just a bit, uh, Sarai, whose now name is going to be Sarah, she's going to bear a child. She's going to, to uh, they're going to come and say, you're going to have a child within a year. It'll be about 99. I think this is 86 or he's age 86 or something like that. Um, so this is a sign sign of the covenant. Uh, It happens at eight days uh, with the names being changed with Abraham and Sarah. Um, That's why often in connection with this, the Jews would have a a naming ceremony with this. 
Uh, this has been misused. I've actually heard Jewish uh, rabbis who have said, well, you know, um, you're not really a child until eight days, and that's why abortion is okay. What? Then you could kill a child at age seven, seven days old. And, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's not why. Uh, um, yes, it is true that infant mortality was more common and, and all, but that was, that was not the, the idea. That was not what God was uh, intending with this. With the eight days, you've got the seven days of creation. You've got the eighth day, which is the new creation. You've got a be- new beginning. And so God was making an, a new beginning uh, as, as regards this. Okay, so does circumcision save Abraham? He was already saved. Does it justify him? No. He was already justified. In fact, our own Book of Concord lets us know that it says, this circumcision for Abraham is a sign of the faith that he already had. Why does he do what God says concerning this circumcision? does it because he believes in the promise. He trusts in it and says, okay, um, what about this mark upon the body and, 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 and the particular organ that he chooses? Again, there are commentators that say that, you know, that this is the, uh, uh, the sinfulness of the uh, sexual organ, and, and therefore, because all evil comes forth, and not so, not so. In fact, yeah, I mean, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. You know, the the sin wasn't adultery. <laughs> you know, uh, um, God is dealing with the reason that God chose this organ. It is because it is through Abraham and through his sexual organ that there will be a seed. That is the promised offspring is going to come. It's a promise uh, by choosing that that goes back to Adam and Eve saying that there is going to be a child and this is the way children come. And so you uh, uh, put the promise there in connection with that. And so God is giving them a, a, a mark. He's giving him a sign. He's giving him what we would consider today a sacrament, a sign that goes with the promise, that those might go together. Now, granted, for others who are coming into, maybe not for Abraham, who's already a believer, but, but this circumcision was also one that, uh, by, by this, you put yourself into the covenant, or you brought your children into the covenant, and said, yes, this is for, for them as well. Now, unlike baptism... And baptism in the New Testament talks about how it is as similarities and, and as circumcised uh, uh, those, so also then uh, we have baptism. But quite interesting, in baptism, you have not just male boys or men baptized, everybody's baptized. But in the Old Testament, there was only circumcision, and that was for men. That was not for women. Um, Nevertheless, it brought into the community and those who were connected with 
you would say, the community with their husband. They also were a part of this community. Um, I think this is, is, is intentional. Um, an intentional that it might show the head, as well as when Paul comes and starts teaching us that in faith in Christ there is neither male nor female, slave nor free. Um, those things, when it comes to spiritual matters in the New Testament, uh, does not does not matter. But when you take on circumcision, and Paul talks about those in the New Testament that are glorying in their circumcision, and he says, well, if you promise to keep what God has told us to do, then you've got to do everything that God has said. You can't do one. And so you take on circumcision, you put yourself, we would say, under the covenant, and the covenant included things like God told Abraham, you're going to walk before me and be blameless. Oh. Well, how about that? Um, to place yourself under the covenant is also to place yourself under the requirements that come with the law of being in God's house, being a Christian, being a, a believer. Hmm. When Jesus comes, he willingly takes on and places himself under the law. Take a look at Galatians 3, 23-29 on the back of the page. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. That is, it was, it was like a, a guardsman. Uh, kept for the faith, which would after be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the tutor was there, the law was there. Uh, in a sense, it kind of forced us, uh, to, as it was a guard, it kept us locked up but not in the sense that uh, uh, we were uh, forced. It was done in the sense that it was to show us that we were sinners, uh, to, to keep us under uh, the guilty, until the Christ would come. And then when the Christ would come, we would be no longer under that. We would be set free from that which was the law. For all of you... For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So what does Jesus do? When he comes, and we usually talk about his passive obedience, suffering and dying. When he comes, he comes to actively keep the law for us. By his submitting to, and this is the first law that would come under him, the law of circumcision, at the eighth day, he is being placed under the law. And having been placed under the law, he does, in fact, keep it for all of his life. He keeps it perfectly. And so, uh, when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, uh, he has his bloodshed, uh, the mark placed upon him, uh, for us that he might keep the law for us. His name was called Jesus, and then it refers back to that name uh, given, as it says, by the angel before he was conceived in the moon. That must have been the 
uh, Luke 1 reference, because that's the one that was given to Mary. Uh, the reference of the angel coming to Joseph was the one after he was uh, conceived. Third passage down, Colossians 2, verse 11 to 12. It says, In him you are also circumcised. That would be in Christ. Uh, believers, New Testament believers were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you are also raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. It talks about uh, this circumcision, one without hands, uh, just as you might say our sinfulness is cut off and thrown away so also by the circumcision, the foreskin is cut off and thrown away. It says, through faith in Christ, our sin is cut off. We are united with Christ so that what happened to him is good for us as well. And so his keeping of the law is given to us uh, that we might uh, receive it. This eighth day uh, kind of puts us time-wise if Christmas Eve falls on Sunday, New Year's Eve is going to fall on it. If Christmas Day falls on Monday, the circumcision of our Lord is going to fall on Monday. It's always that eighth day, the uh, uh, one day plus one. Uh, and so it's going to be on the same day of the week. Uh, this then is that celebration of the beginning of our Lord keeping uh, the law for us. Questions? All right. Um, tonight we're going to go to page 231 in the front part of your hymnal. Uh, and this is going to serve as our prayers for this evening. Page 231, we'll start with the Lord of Mercy, with the uh, Kyrie as it's uh, listed there, and uh, conclude with the end of the Order of Vespers. Please stand. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O merciful and eternal God, Heavenly Father, who didst cause thy Son to endure circumcision and to be made subject to the law, 
that we might be redeemed from the curse of the law. We beseech thee, grant us grace to become partakers of this redemption and thus obtain eternal salvation through the same. Thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, one true God, world without end. Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings with your most gracious favor, and further us with your continual help, that in all our works begun, continued, and ended in you, we may glorify your holy name, and finally by your mercy obtain eternal salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. O Lord God, the life of all the living, the light of the faithful, the strength of those who labor, the repose of the blessed dead, grant us a peaceful night free from all disturbance, that after a time of quiet slumber, we may by your goodness be endued in the new day with the guidance of your Holy Spirit and enabled in peace to render thanks to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.